on this episode of Team Building Saves the World. I like to use the analogy with mindfulness of like learning to play the violin, right? You could take an eight-week violin course and then never play again, and then you're going to forget everything, right? right? So mindfulness is a similar activity. And he like all of a sudden stopped, went to his room, came back out again, and came and put his snowsuit on. And she said, what was that all about? And he said, well, my amygdala was firing off, and I needed to get it to settle down so that my prefrontal cortex would come on. <laughs> and wrote me an email like, what are you teaching my kid? Like I, It's the same for the kids as it is for the adults. Mm. And that's a huge huge skill like what if politicians practice mindfulness like what if the guy that runs the podcast has a mindfulness practice right what if we could all as human beings just be a little more compassionate with ourselves so that we could be more compassionate with other people and Hello, team. Once again, it's me, your old friend, Rich Renansland, host of Team Building Saves the World, the show where I speak to the leaders and innovators of the team building industry from all across the globe, trying to find out what about that industry is so important, especially in the world of today. And today, we're focusing on mindfulness with the founder and executive director of Calmer Choice, Fiona Jensen, and mindfulness teacher and board member with Calmer Choice, Paula Reardon-Webster. But first, I need to spend some thanks to some thanks out to my supporters at Team Bonding. If your team is ready to experience teamwork, the power of play, then visit teambonding.com to learn more. Now, team, please join me in welcoming wellness instructor Paula Reardon-Webster and award-winning CEO of Calmer Choice, Fiona Jensen. (laughs) That's just a small collection of people I've gathered under my desk just to applaud you, ladies. Amazing. How are we doing today? Good. We're excited to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming out. But now, can you please, let's start off. Uh, just uh, tell my team out there, Fiona, if you can, about Calmer Choice and how it was that whole, this whole thing came about. Sure. So I actually love that this is about team building because Calmer Choice started 11 years ago when a group of con- concerned parents on Cape Cod gathered together to try and figure out how they could help some a particular group of teenagers who had just lost a couple of friends to suicide. Mm. And as a parent with my own mindfulness practice, I watched my daughter and her friends really come undone and really have no way of navigating what they were working through. And so we decided to take it amongst the, you know, on ourselves to try and raise some money so we could hire a mindfulness teacher to work with these kids in this particular high school. And it was really, honestly, for me as a parent, um, it was my way of trying to reach out to my kid who was not wanting to listen to her mother as far as ways that might be helpful. And I knew that if we could drop it into school, perhaps there was a chance that my Lily would be able to benefit. So we raised enough money for one program. And then much to my amazement, and this is where the team building came in, we started getting calls from other school districts on the Cape uh, because we're located on Cape Cod in Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. saying they had an issue with mental health issues with their teenagers and middle schoolers. And could we bring our stress reduction and mindfulness program into their schools. So um, I gathered my best 
team building skills. And we really just went to work on creating a nonprofit. None of us had ever been on a nonprofit board even. And, um, you know, today we've now worked with about 38,000 children and adults because we've morphed a little bit to be working with the business world and um, which is how we got connected with you guys. So 38,000 people since it was founded back in 2010. So that's a little history. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, that's a lot of people, but apparently for a very important cause. Yeah. Paula, what about you? How did you get yourself involved in all this? Well, I, uh, let me see, I come from a corporate accounting background, basically, and I uh, was uh, wanting to, I had a mindfulness practice, and I I was drawn into a program at Lesley University, so getting out of healthcare finance into mindfulness studies, I got a master's degree in mindfulness studies and some other trainings, and I, I knew Fiona, and I knew the chairman of the board, but I actually ran into the program director at a a silent retreat and I yeah it's an interesting networking tool to go to (laughs) my sense is that whoever you end up sitting across from when you're allowed to have conversation at the end Mm. so we talked about you know karma choice needing some support on the finance committee and the board and I went in through that door in 2014 14, 15, and then I took the teacher training in 16, 17, and have been teaching the adult population, although I've trained with kids. Most of the people who are instructors with Karma Choice are very much drawn to um, working with youth, uh, working with the kiddos in the schools, and had perhaps, you know, just not that interested in adults. So I started there. And as that's grown, I've continued to to teach adults through Commerce Choice. So just to clarify for everybody out there who may not be familiar with your organization, we're not just talking about high schoolers. We're, we're talking about kids of all ages, right? Right. What was interesting is we did, that's a great question. Uh, we started with high schoolers and what we found within the first like semester of teaching was that this, these, the things we were teaching really could and should be taught to little people. So we teach from preschool all the way to, you know, your 85 year old mom. Um, so really the whole spectrum, uh, we have a specific school program that we work with the children with, and we have had really, um, we've been super fortunate in that we've been able to do research with Tufts and Yale and MIT to study the efficacy of our kid program. Mm. And actually this summer we've got Tufts back involved and we're going to be looking at the efficacy of our adult program, which is primarily what Paul has been, been teaching. So yeah, it's kind of amazing the opportunities that we've uh, been given as an organization. Going back to those early days, what kind of things were you seeing? Because it's so unfortunate to hear about the suicides. Super interesting. And when mm-hmm. we did the research, we we actually researched the uh, little guys. So grades three through five. Um, we found that there was a, and this was pre-pandemic, and things are right. only worse now than they were, right? So we found that, you know, 40% of kids in, in classrooms, and this was repeatedly over asked these questions, having issues sleeping at nighttime. 
like 46% of kids in a classroom are struggling with anxiety and a lot of kids having issues around dysregulation. So not being able to regulate themselves. Um, what we found, which was really interesting, was that the children, like if you were a teacher and you started your school year and you were like, oh my God, this kid is going to really struggle. The one, actually my kids, the ADD kids, the ones that can't sit still, um, those were the kids that made the greatest gains in our program. So we found that kids that sort of started at a pretty level area, they stayed pretty level. Like there was no problems there, but the kids that really self-identified as having the most trouble around emotional regulation were really the kids that made the greatest gains, um, which was super because those were really the kids that we wanted to really help out. And then with the teenagers, we found that a lot of these kids, they would initially sort of do the eye rolling, like, oh, this is really stupid. But then at the end, when you would ask them, are they using it? You would get stories like, yeah, you know, instead of punching a hole in my wall, uh, when I got mad at my brother, I went into my room and I practiced my mindfulness or a lot of kids in high school using it before sporting events. Mm-hmm. Um, so before baseball games and gymnastics practices. And, and what's really interesting is I bumped into some high school kids that had had our program in middle school, but hadn't had it for a while at, at an event recently. And a lot of those kids were still using it before tests, helping themselves fall asleep at night, which is great. That's really what we wanted with the kids. We wanted to right. plant the seeds um, so that once they hit the high school, the hope was that we were going to be able to change the trajectory of some of these kids as far as having tools in their toolbox to deal with the anxieties of being a teenager. Is it just meditation, straightforward, or do you have other practices? No, we have other practices, and I'm going to kind of I'm going to hand that over to Paula because sure. I don't teach the curriculum, though I probably could have, but I was very busy <laughs> raising money for the last ten years. There so you I'm go. going to pass that off to Paula. But it's absolutely that's a tiny piece, an important piece, yeah. but not the primary focus necessarily of our, especially with the kids. Fiona's been pretty busy, so she she lives the program. Yeah, so we keep it very, very secular and accessible to anyone, whether there's some form of existing, you know, use the word meditation, that connotes one thing, you know, and if you look up mindfulness, which sadly, you'll see people sitting there in a mudra, you know, with legs crossed. So Mm -hmm. that that's not what we do. And that's sort of a, a stigma and the popularized secularized mindfulness We start with, you know, simply knowing where we are. And our definition is paying attention intentionally. So not just like when you hear the car crash outside and your your attention is called, but directing your own attention intentionally to what's happening right now, inside and outside you, and trying to coordinate those two. And we start with simply perhaps paying attention to your breath, perhaps paying attention to your body sitting, perhaps feeling your hands together. A lot of different avenues into just body sensations, because really a a big thing with anxiety is we're thinking, we're thinking, we're Mm -hmm. ahead, we're planning, we're remember, I plan, I'm a planner, I'm not a ruminator, but you know, every room is full of some ruminators, some planners, some, you know, people having the conversation. So just really paying attention to what's here, mind wanders, what's here, mind wanders. So you may call it meditation, you may call it breathing, you may call it sitting, it doesn't really matter what we call it. And then the lessons are scaffolded from there. We work with all of the sensations, sound, taste, 
touch, you know, all of them. And then we move into noticing, noticing our habits, Mm -hmm. uh, thinking patterns that I just spoke of, noticing our perceptions, noticing our negativity bias. We give people a good sense of like a foundation of neuroscience. What goes on in our brain and how do we... How do we kind of create our own stress with those habits? I have to ask, how long does this take? I mean, what <laughs> the programs themselves, how long are we looking at? So the, the little people programs mm-hmm. are 20 minutes twice a week over eight weeks. Okay. So the whole thing with mindfulness is it's dosage, right? Like right. we could do a two-hour workshop and you would be like, oh my God, that's such great information. And then you're not changing your habits, mm-hmm. right? So what we want with the adults, it's it's two hours over a week, once a week for eight weeks. Is that right? Yeah. Two hours, once a week for eight weeks for the kids, it's 20 minutes, twice a week for eight weeks. Mm. And we, we encourage people to practice in between. So the actual sitting, paying it like for the little guys, it's like, you know, four, four or five minutes at the beginning, four or five minutes at the end. And then there's a lesson in the middle. And with the adults, it's a, it's certainly more practice than that because our capacity to sit still is greater for most adults, not all adults, but for most of us. So, and then, you know, the thing with, I like to use the analogy with mindfulness of like you're learning to play the violin, right? You could take an eight week violin course and then never play again, and then you're going to forget everything, right? right? So mindfulness is a similar activity. So with the kids, they might get it in kindergarten, first grade, third, you know, and all the way through the grades. And it's it's the same lessons, but the um, a lot of the activities change as kids get older. But, um, you know, this is a practice. You know, I was sharing with Paula, we were talking before this, and I said, you know, I had a hard time last night because my dog's leg is injured. And, and I worried, like I woke up at two in the morning and I spent all this time worrying about Pippa's leg. And I said to her, it was like, it's such useless energy. And Paula said, it's a habit. Worry is a habit. And I'm like, Oh, I mean, and I run the organization, right? Like you would think at two in the morning that I, I did practice (laughs) my breathing though, Paula, you'll be proud of me. And I did go back to sleep, but you know, as human beings, we are, that's our default mode. Right, mm-hmm. is to ruminate, worry, plan, um, either about you know the, looking into the future or worrying about what we said to our boss or whatever you know. And we're not actually here right now with our feet on the floor, paying attention to what's actually going on right now. Right, and, and that's important to know. And we we reinforce that with people that people will say, "I'm not, I can't do this. I'm not good at this. I can't clear my mind." Yeah. No one can clear their mind unless you have a head injury or something. It's really, <laughs> and even then, I don't know. There's different patterns that right. stay, right? But that's not the idea. That's not the goal. And, you know, we also teach self-compassion and, and being very gentle with this process and kind. And, you know, not judging ourselves for the way that we are as humans. We were wired to look out for danger, we're wired for that. You know, we came this way. So it's gone awry with with uh, modern society because all the, the things that we were looking out for, the bears are not there. We don't have to hunt the berries. We don't have to compete for those berries. So we're working with um, the odds are stacked against us. So we're just trying to like shift the way the odds are stacked. Ladies, this is amazing. If you don't mind, I do need to step away for just one quick second. 
because I need to tell all my team about a company I'm so proud to work with, Team Bonding. Team Bonding was founded over 20 years ago with one simple question. How can employees have a great time while fostering strong, authentic bonds between people who work together? They've created a catalog of innovative events using the power of play as a learning tool and tapping into the correlation of work and play. From scavenger hunts to Jeopardy and so much more, the team bonding of activities, live, virtual, and hybrid, maximizes the impact of team building with an accent on fun. Visit teambonding.com to schedule your event now. Team bonding, when you want seriously fun results. And we are back with Paula Webster, Fiona Jensen. Ladies, this is an amazing conversation to be a part of. Thank you so much again for coming on board. I have been a Taoist for 27 years. Like you, I found there was a time in my life where I just needed to be able to focus and couldn't. And joining a, a Taoist society, you know, bathing in the waters of Zen, as we call it, it helped me tremendously. And I can only think of if, if I were younger and had gotten started earlier, what the benefits I could have seen. What kind of benefits are you seeing? Like you say you went through MIT, you know, learning about how well this would all work. What kind of efficacy are you seeing? So remarkably, the MIT study was, we actually had the opportunity to work with a gentleman by the name of Dr. John Gabrielli, who has an an fMRI. (laughs) Sorry. That's okay. Her leg's Uh, hurting. I understand. There you go. Uh, (laughs) Named after him. And so we actually studied the brain science behind mindfulness. So there have been a lot of studies with adults on uh, what part of the brain is affected when you're practicing mindfulness. And with adults, it was, you know, over and over again, the amygdala which is the fight flight piece you know like oh my god there's a a, something coming after me that actually shrunk in the prefrontal cortex which is the sort of the wise owl part of the brain um thickened right which is what you really want Um, but there was nothing about children and so back in 2016 we were really fortunate to be able to study looking at kids and we worked with children up in the dorchester area and what they found was very similar results to what they found in adults so those children that had had a like a hyper vigilant fight flight response mm-hmm. that actually settled right so the kids were not as they didn't react as strongly to um, scary things not from a safety standpoint but just being on guard all the time right and the part of the brain that looked at the child's ability to pay attention on purpose improved now the kids that didn't take the mindfulness program but instead did a computer programming program called scratch they had none of those changes at all in the Hmm. brain so what was really interesting is one of the scientists from mit was so intrigued by these results that he actually i don't know paul if he was in your training but the following year he went through our training because he was trying to figure out what is it exactly that we teach these kids that um, makes the difference and what he found is it was that five minutes at the beginning and the end that was really that ability to take your focus from out here and bring it back to an anchor of some kind. And we teach children and adults that that anchor. It could be your breath. It could be sound. It could be sensation. And it was that practice. It's like, you know, it's like going to the gym, you know, it's building sure. that, building new neural pathways. So we found that children reported feeling 
um, happier, parents reporting children appearing kinder, children using it a lot to help them fall asleep at night, or if they wake up in the middle of the night, they use it to go back to sleep. And I think one of the things that we found that I love is that we, because we teach the kids and adults actually about their brain, they really use that, right? So we've had stories from parents of, you know, there was this one woman, she was a guidance counselor at one of the schools and her third grader was losing it. She wanted him to put his snowsuit on and he was just all over the place. And he like all of a sudden stopped, went to his room, came back out again and came and put his snowsuit on. And she said, what was that all about? And he said, well, my amygdala was firing off and I needed to get it to settle down so that my prefrontal cortex would come on. <laughs> Aaron wrote me an email like, what are you teaching my kid? Like I... But it's really empowering for children to know that they're losing it, not because they're a bad kid or that they can't take their MCAS test because they're stupid. Mm. Their amygdala is fired off. And when your amygdala, which is that fight flight part of the brain fires off, you don't have access to all of those wise owl thoughts, all Mm. of those ways to behave properly, that all the science that you studied for your MCAS test, you don't have access to it because it's like a computer that's offline. Mm -hmm. So we've, you know, we've looked at it from so many different angles because we've done so much, so much research with so many different people. And no matter how you look at it, like it's not a magic wand, right? right? This is not going to solve create world peace like tomorrow right but it's 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 a helpful tool to have in your toolbox Mm -hmm. as you and i and children navigate this world and i hate to say it but sort of now more than ever i keep thinking that eventually that's not going to be the case but you know now more than ever coming out of the pandemic for many of us there was has been a level of trauma that none of us have ever experienced before that you know, it is what it is. It's Very there. True. Yeah, this is this is the nature of the world we're in right now. Speaking yeah. of which, let's actually look at that and moved into the marketplace, because yeah. the the biggest stress that I'm seeing right now as I'm interviewing folks and and I'm hearing from other people is the the idea of going back. Mm. You know, we've just spent more than a year sitting on screens, just like the three of us are right now, and talking yeah. and working and doing what we need to do to keep the company moving. Paula, give me an example here. You talk about the five minutes before and after. What are the kind of things you do for adults in those five minutes? Well, what what's interesting is the, the program that Fiona is speaking of, it's all the exact same program, although we might enhance the adult program and make it more fun to the standards of um, team bonding if we would use the children's literature as part of our program, but we don't do okay. that. But we, you know, it's just longer the basics are all the same, but the idea that the five minutes at the beginning, right, when we slide in to our seat to turn on Zoom or to get into the conference room, mm-hmm. our head is back there at what we just did, the conference with our kid's teacher or the putting the taxes in the mail or the previous meeting, right? So we teach from the get-go, from day one, being where you are, breathing, allowing yourself to arrive, to set the stage for yourself and for those you're with, with a new moment. Here we are. Now it's now. Now it's 3.54 in the afternoon. You know, I am in my my space. Where am I? What time is it? And from there, we feel our bodies. We feel our breath. We feel our bottom sitting in the chair. It's the same for the kids as it is for the adults. Mm. And that's a huge, huge skill 
for adults because we all know what it's like to be working on the shopping list that we didn't get sure. to and planning how we're going to get to the graduate second graduation party Saturday. On top of work, which we're now back to some face-to-face, right. I think one of the most profound skills that could be helpful to people, um, aside from knowing how to regulate yourself, is noticing what you're feeling as you move into this space of being with people. We've waited a year and a half. We want to go back to our office, to the graduation party, the wedding, the warehouse sale, whatever it is, right? The sporting event. We want that. We wanted that. It's not that simple. We're not used to it. Noticing, oh, I feel discomfort in my belly. Mm. Oh, I feel a little overly energized, you know. So those types of things, we really connect noticing your feelings in your body, uh, noticing connecting thoughts and feelings. You know, there might be a little voice that says, this is a bit much. We're not listening to that voice because we waited a year and a half for this, right? Sure. But, you know, beginning to kind of, you know, really pay attention and honor, you know, like take care of ourselves in that way. And I think that's a great skill for people to have coming into whatever this new time period is. I think the only I would add to that or or, uh, include is Mm -hmm. one of the things about mindfulness um, especially if you do it in a group, like Paula's does a lot of group as adults, even working with the kids is to really normalize mm-hmm. what's going on. Okay. Right. Mm-hmm. I, I remember, uh, there was an adult who was in, you know, uh, he talked about when he was a child, he just couldn't focus and he had a hard time sleeping at night and how helpful it would have been for him to know that like, of the class was there, right? And oftentimes with the little kids, we'll say, how many of you, you know, and all these hands raise and it like normalizes like that little boy with the snowsuit. It's, it was just what, it's just what happens, right? And I think as adults, and I'm one of those people, right? Like I wanted to get back, but I've struggled, you know, I've struggled with it and how quickly it's opening up. And, and I think it's pretty normal. I think many, many people are, struggling with it. And it's like Paula said to recognize like, wow, like, ah, this is a little much, you know, I, I think I need to take a break or I think I need to go for a walk or like what self-care skills do you have in your toolbox that you can take out? Cause we may need them more now than we did six months ago when the world was much tighter, smaller, yeah. you know, yeah. and um, because the world has opened up pretty fast, like, even for me, like faster than I thought, Right. <laughs> you know? So I think that's such a good point. And also Fiona back to, you know, the, the research on the, the efficacy of the program and it being needed more than ever, mm-hmm. you know, when we started this at square one, there was a certain amount of anxiety and then pre pandemic, the childhood anxiety numbers, and I wish I could quote them. I'm not going to look them up have done nothing but grow and the age level has gone down. And now, you know, during the pandemic that has continued to grow, you know, voluminously for adults and kids. So this is a great way. It's, it's not a magic elixir. There are, many other mental health issues or ways or in other ways to take care of yourself through movement or whatever, but this right. is a really, really invaluable tool. 
Fiona, how did you move? How did you make that step from this is something for the kids, especially to let's now look at the business world? So what's interesting is we, you know, my vision back 11, 12 years ago, we actually have it written on those yellow stickies, right? Was what if, what if we could work with the kids? And then what if we could actually work with the teachers that work with the kids? Ah. And what if we could actually work with the community that were parent, you know, and so it just was a natural progression. Now we didn't know how to teach adults back then. And Paula has been part <laughs> of growing our adult program. And we go when, you know, like no need to reinvent the wheel. Right. So we've right. gone through many trainings and then created our own program, but it was this sense of like, what if politicians practice mindfulness? Mm-hmm. Like what if the guy that you bought your car from yep. practice mindfulness? Right. Like right. what if the guy that runs the podcast has a mindfulness practice, right? Like it's, if the, the it's, and again, it's not like about like brainwashing the world. It's about what if we could all as human beings just be a little more compassionate with ourselves so that we could be more compassionate with other people and heaven knows the world needs that right now. So I think it was this natural progression. And then the other thing that happened was as we were teaching the children in the schools, we actually knew that we, there had to be a way that we could train some of the people in the building to reinforce what Paula was teaching the kids. And so there was this, people would like come to us and say, can you train me like guidance counselors and health teachers? And, um, and so then we thought, well, now we need to figure out how to teach people to teach what we're teaching. And so over the period of 11 years, we now have a teacher training program and, you know, we teach all kinds of people, for themselves, but also, you know, how do you support the people around you? What kind of differences are you seeing between the kids and the adults? A lot of gratitude from the adults for the time that we spend. I mean, I think a lot of people are struggling with their wellness right now. And the response has been that it's been, thank you. It's one more thing that I can do to take care of myself. Um, And for the children, like those teenagers that I bumped into at an event, there was a lot of sort of, oh my God, I'm so glad I learned this. Mm. I'm so glad I learned this in fourth grade because though I don't use everything that Mr. Bob taught me, there are certain things that I use all the time, right? And part of it for myself, when I started it, I'm a woman in long-term recovery. And I know I was one of those people that was self-medicating in order to manage with the world, right? And I had this, I remember when I learned mindfulness, it was part of getting sober. And I remember thinking, why didn't I learn this in third grade? Like I still might've headed down that road, but why did I not know that I had an amygdala and that my anxiety was caused by like, it would have made my life very different. Right. So we do have this, like people having these epiphanies of, Oh my God, that's all it is. I'm not broken. I'm not broken. None of us are broken. Right. We're human beings. And it's like Paula said, we come to, we come into this world that way. And now we have this 24 seven, we don't, everybody has a smartphone, including your child. Like it's like two, it's a lot of information coming at us all the time. Paula, same question. Uh, What kind of things are you seeing? Differences, especially between the kids that you teach these things to and the adults. Well, I would say personally, I don't, I taught the kids when I was training and okay. um, the only kids I've taught since then and not with great success are my own kids. But um, reluctantly, my my younger daughter, when she went to high school, I had taught her what we call five-fingered breathing, where you breathe in and out 
and you're tracing your fingers. So you're getting this tactile experience that takes you out of your head. And uh, my younger daughter was having her first set of finals. and None of them, they thought, mom's kind of crazy. I don't want to do anything like that that she does. But she stormed into the house. She looked at me. She said, I did the breathing and it helped. And then she stormed away. So, <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> what I can say is you don't have to love it to have it be helpful right. from that experience. Um, I recently received an email from someone in a recent on Zoom adult class, which is a little, it's a little bit of a different experience. And there are some other more tactile experiential things we get to do in a room together. Mm. And um, that's true with everything we do on Zoom, right? You can't even hand, hand us a cup of tea on this right. venue. But this woman wrote to me, and I'd say she's 40, in her 40s maybe, that her whole life she had been anxious. And her mother was a single mom. She used to not be able to eat when her mother left the house to go to work. She carried that anxiety, that anxious thinking pattern with her. Now she's a mother, a teacher, a wife. And she said, I get married, it get worse. I had kids, it get worse. Then I had a school full of kids, it get worse. And she feels like she's able to start walking it back after taking our class. Fantastic. That's something. So, you know, that's something. It's not a, like Fiona said, it's a practice. You can do a two-hour workshop and forget it, just like anything else. But, you know, to have the tools to work with for that, that's that's powerful. Mm. So looking at this from the point of view of, say, I'm a CEO, I have people who are coming back to the workplace, I need to worry about my my CSR, my corporate social responsibility. Mm-hmm. What can I do for my people? What kind of things for mindfulness can I bring into play? So what's interesting is that the thing about mindfulness is what I would say to that CEO mm-hmm. is that it might be a good idea for that CEO to get a taste of what it is that we're talking about, right? Okay. Um, now, he could be or she could be super generous and pay for a mindfulness program that they could open up to their staff, which is what Team Bonding did, which is great because then those people who have a curiosity about it will take the program. So I would say find out about it for yourself. If you haven't taken a mindfulness course for yourself, it might not be a bad idea. And there's a Commerce Choice has them, but there's other organizations out there that teach mindfulness to corporations. And then it's, it's really offering. I mean, I think one of the things that the world is recognizing after the pandemic is that if we don't take care of our mental health, we're going to be in trouble. And there's a lot of people that are struggling with mental health issues. And I think it's about destigmatizing that, like it's normal to have anxiety. It's normal to be coming out of this stuff with a little uncertainty. And as Paula said, so many of us are so excited to be able to do it. And at the same time are like, "Ah, I kind of like my home office, you know? So I would say, you know, look into programs that you can bring into the workplace, you know? And um, because there are, there are organizations that do that. And then I would say it's never something that you would want to mandate like right. we don't want to mandate people to take our program, but our feeling is if you get enough people within your organization that have a mindfulness practice, it begins to shift the culture of the organization. Can you tell me what kind of benefits corporations have seen that have brought mindfulness in? 
So as I said, we're researching our adult program now. I can okay. tell you stories. I mean, maybe Please. Paula, you can pipe in there from some of your experience with some of the corporate. Well, groups. let me just say, and probably the stories are helpful as well, that, yeah, we haven't, and nor is there a lot of study about its impact on, let's sure. say, the bottom line, which yeah. is still of interest to people. But yep. when you look at there's a, a brilliant MD neuroscientist, Dan Siegel, who wrote this book called Mindsight and many others since then. But he is a big fan of, you know, the, the functions of the prefrontal cortex, which is what Fiona had so aptly described mm. as being strengthened and perhaps even growing with enough practice. So some of the functions, okay, we've got, I can't name them all, body regulation, a focus, right? Mm. Focus. All right. Focus is of great interest to people who are employing people and are giving them a task or a project to do. Um, emotional regulation, that's nice too. We don't want everyone, we want more of a cooperative environment and that fosters teamwork, right? <laughs> There's also attunement to others, which is something I believe that you get from mindfulness. It may be why playing the piano isn't the same compassionate, you know, when they talk about you can develop new neural pathways from learning another language or playing the piano. Okay. We can develop new neural pathways with mindfulness, and we have this functionality strengthened of attuning to others. That's a big deal if you're working with other people, collaborating, and you know having that um, the sense of calm that may come with this now allows you available to be more creative. This has been amazing. I can't thank you enough for coming on board, Fiona. Can you just tell us real quick? Anybody who wants to find Calmer Choice, where can they go? Sure. Um, we have a website which is www.calmerchoice.org, and there's all kinds of information there about our adult programs, our four-week workshops, uh, our kid programs. So, yeah, I would direct people to our website, and I would be happy to um, answer any questions anybody has. And, of course, they can find out more about the corporate side of all of this at the same location or... Location. Yeah, absolutely. And also through teambonding.com, who was nice enough to sponsor this podcast. Thank you again, ladies. Amazing conversation. uh, Amazing topic. So important, too. I can't thank you enough for being on board and helping out with this. I'm kind of sucking up to you just a little bit now because I hope you're ready to have some fun and play my speed round. First comes the cheese. All right, ladies, once again, the way this works is I'm going to start a 60-second musical clock. And while that's going, I'm going to ask you a series of very silly, innocuous questions. If I ask you individually by name, that person must answer. But if I don't mention a name, the first person who answers gets that answer in because you're a team. You're working together. So my amygdala has fired off immediately. I'm just telling you. Fantastic. <laughs> Having a hot flash and everything. <laughs> <laughs> All right. With sorry, sorry. that in mind, <laughs> let's get ourselves underway. <laughs> Fiona, what's your name? Oh, Fiona Jensen. Paula, same question. Paula Reardon Webster. Cake or pie? Oh, pie. Cake. <laughs> uh, Paula, what's your biggest pet peeve? Pet peeves. Nice. Okay, uh, Fiona, if you could be a cartoon character, who would you be? Oh my God, uh, Mickey Mouse. Okay. 
Uh, what is your favorite family tradition? Christmas stockings. Excellent. And Paula, favorite celebrity crush? Oh, Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> Fiona, if you could have any other job besides what you're doing, what would it be? Uh, I would be a occupational therapist. Excellent. And that's it. Ladies, you got eight Eight questions correct. The best team we've had so far this season has been 13. So that is fantastic. And there were there were three of them. Don't don't let anybody know. <laughs> well, once again, my team, please give a big, big round of applause for Fiona Jensen and Paula Webster. Thank you again, ladies, for coming on board with us. It meant the world to me and it's such an important subject. Everyone, especially out there, if you or your family or friends or family of choice or blood are having problems and they need help, there's no easy fix. Please make sure to get them the help that they need. But with that being said, my friends, that's it. We're going to wrap up yet another episode of Team Building Saves the World. Thanks again to each and every one of you out there for listening to this podcast. If you're brand new or even an old friend of the podcast, please continue to share the word. Let everybody you know know about this show because we'd love to hear from each and every one of you. You can find us on any of the social medias at Team Bond Podcast or... You can just go to our webpage at teambonding.com slash podcast where you can find all of our back episodes plus all the episodes we have for the season and so much more. So until next time, guys, once again, this has been your friend Richmond's Land. And always remember, if you are within the sound of my voice, you're on my team now and I am always going to be on yours. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time. It's been said that you learn more about a person in an hour of play than in a year of conversation. So why not put your coworkers to play with the help of the team at Team Bonding? Team Bonding was founded over 20 years ago with one simple question. How can employees have a great time while fostering strong, authentic bonds between people who work together? Their catalog of innovative events includes scavenger hunts, Jeopardy, and much more. Each activity, whether live, virtual, or hybrid, maximizes the impact of team building with an accent on fun. Visit teambonding.com to schedule your event now. Team Bonding, when you want seriously fun results.